Welcome to World Is Cool. This week, I chat with Garrett Jacobson. After college, Garrett moved back to his hometown to work with his grandfather in real estate and appraisal in hopes of taking over the family business one day. We chat about how he became interested in real estate, the current market, and how great it is to work and learn from his grandfather. Along with real estate, we chat about the importance of building relationships, the diversity he experienced at college, and how he brings all that back to his rural community. If you enjoy our conversation, please be sure to rate and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. All right. Good morning, Garrett. How are you doing today? Good. How about yourself? Not too bad. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat this morning. I wanted to reach out to you because you are a real estate agent in the the local area and kind of wanted to talk about rural real estate because I know it varies quite differently than an urban setting. Uh So let's start out. You, You grew up in Neely, which is where you currently live. Yep. Take us kind of through how you ended up in Neely. Okay. So um, it was probably about my junior year of high school. I really had no idea what I wanted to do uh, as far as schooling afterwards uh, when I went to college. Neely had a what's called a work release program. Uh, it kind of sounds like a pretty deal. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's the second semester right after Christmas break. They let you... Uh, I think they let you out of school at like one or 1230 or something like that. And you're able to use the rest of the, the day to kind of get work experience. And so my mom was really wanting me to, to go work for my grandpa. He, I think at the time he was probably in his low seventies or so. And so he's kind of was getting towards the end of his working years or kind of sort of maybe starting to wind down, I should say. And, um, so she recommended that I go kind of work under him and kind of see what he does um, and kind of see how, how his businesses work. And so I, I started back in 2014, uh, I think January. And then um, I worked for him uh, until I went to college that next year. And uh, I really liked the, the appraisal part of it. And uh, so that's what I kind of did there for from January basically until August was learning about the appraisal process and stuff like that and then throughout college I went and basically every summer I came back and I I worked for him as well and then I got my trainee appraiser license when I was in college which ultimately led to me getting my my real estate license here I think back in 2018 they they kind of work hand in hand a little bit but at the same time, there's a lot of differences in uh, what you can do with them. So Benny, he's kind of a jack of all trades guy when it comes to real estate. <laughs> yes, so- he, yes, he is. I, I remember when he helped close on our property and he knew, he knew every single property in Antelope County, like the back <laughs> of his hand. <laughs> oh, he does. I mean, he's probably done work, I bet, for 90% of the county because he started, he went back in business, I think it was... 1956 or something Holy like that. Holy cow. Yeah. So he's been in business for 64 years or at least working uh, in the real estate industry since like 1956, I believe. Um, not always as a real estate agent though. He started out actually as an abstractor. And um, so that's, that's kind of a little off topic, but for me, what really drew me in with the whole uh, coming back and everything is I really, really like the, um, the appraisal side and the real estate side of it. 
And for me to kind of jump in and take over the business some at some point, um, I have to train under Benny for the minimum, I, I believe is 18 months, but I have to have 3000 experience hours. And then I have to take a bunch like 10 classes and stuff like that. I think I have about seven of them done. So I'm kind of nearing the end of that whole deal. I'm hoping to finish them up this summer. But just like anything else in a small town, you kind of have to be diversified in what you do. Right. So it's, uh, I feel like the appraisal and uh, real estate side of it really kind of go hand in hand in that facet because when you're, when things are kind of slow on one end, things maybe be picking up on the other end. So I, I think it's it's kind of a good dual sided business to have, and it's really it's really good, and I have a good working relationship with my my grandparents, and that's always really nice to have. I mean, to be able to work with your grandpa every every day is it's kind of it's really nice. It's a uh, it's really really good because he's I mean he's as wise as they come. And so if you have any questions, he's really good about explaining and giving you a good answer. And that's one of the things I, I really enjoy. It, it helps that Benny is overall a pretty good guy too. So yeah, that helps too. Yeah. So was, was, so you planned when you left for college to come back in and take over the, the quote unquote family business. Yeah, that was, that was kind of the plan. So I originally, when I went to UNL, I, uh, I, I was kind of started in business administration uh, in that field. And then um, I started taking some classes um, on the ag campus. And then I finally switched my major to agricultural economics. And after just some, some talks with some advisors, they kind of recommended I go that route with uh, being in a rural community and doing appraisal and stuff like that. It kind of gives you a good idea on how to give you a good background, I would say, for becoming a real estate appraiser and stuff like that and good agribusiness things. So it's well-rounded in the fact that you kind of learn a bunch of different things about not only just the agriculture part, but the actual business and economics part too. So I was, I was really glad I, I went into that major just because I met a lot of kids well, even from around the Neely area. So I, I knew a lot of the kids that were in, in school with me. And then if I didn't, they were also from smaller communities. So you kind of had a good uh, way to establish uh, a relationship with uh, different people because you also shared kind of similar backgrounds. I, I imagine that um, UNL being um, the University of Nebraska-Lincoln being kind of the, the biggest school in, in Nebraska that you get a good diversity of, of city and rural kids. Yeah, you do. At UNL, was there a lot of um, like out-of-state kids too? And, and, you know, just like from all around or was it all kind of just centrally located Nebraska kids? Oh, there was people from all over. There was people from different countries and definitely different states. So, I mean, just if you're in the business college or college of teaching and, uh, all the different stuff you, you ran into kids from all over. And, uh, I think the one, one of the, or one of the good parts about UNL is in relation to other big 10 schools, it's pretty affordable, uh, even for, for out of state tuition. I think it's one of the more affordable schools kind of in, in that big 10 conference. So you, you kind of got exposed to a bunch of different backgrounds, which is, it's actually kind of, it's actually really nice to kind of, 
coming from a small town and meeting new people with completely different backgrounds was was actually really cool because you know growing up in a small town it's you're all from the small town your parents know their parents know their grandparents you know the whole the whole deal and so just try to meet people uh that are kind of different than you know was was actually really cool so did you get a little bit of the the lincoln's the second largest city in nebraska did you get a little bit of the city bug and kind of think maybe you weren't going to come back I don't know. I I had it pretty much implanted in my mind. I was going to come back. I did really enjoy my time down there. I know I had some friends that they decided to stick around uh, Lincoln and kind of, and some of them moved to maybe Omaha to kind of that area. But I maybe for a little bit, but it, and nothing really ever materialized. You know, I, I was pretty much set on coming back and eventually taking over the family business. But I know my wife, she um she worked as a labor and delivery nurse in uh lincoln and she or no she was in in the nicu that was her her deal was the nicu and so it was a little bit different for her to come back (laughs) it was it was she's still in uh labor and delivery in ob but just from going to those really small premature babies to the full grown ones were maybe a little bit different but i think she's adjusted well did she grow up in a small town as well? She is actually from Atkinson. That at least okay. that's where she was from. I met her. Um, her family um, they kind of moved a little bit. Her dad was a teacher and a football coach, so they kind of moved according accordingly. Right, but right. Actually, her grandpa lived right across the street from my parents when I was growing up. So that's kind of how I met her. <laughs> so it's kind of funny that way how it works out. Nice, nice. Yeah. So you went away to school and came back and you're in the process of taking over the family business. Mm-hmm. What challenges have there been for taking over for, for Benny, who's been running the business for a million years and <laughs> knows every in and out of every property and, and probably the, like the Tri-County area or whatever, right? right? What, what challenges are, are there? I would say the biggest thing is just attaining the amount of knowledge that he has about all this stuff. You know, he's really good about, he's a great teacher. And that's, that's what I really like about working for him is he'll step you through things if you don't understand them um, and explain them to you really well. And um, so that's, that's the the biggest challenge right now, especially where he he does so many different things uh, is just getting the, kind of picking his brain whenever you have a question. Once you have a process down for the steps you're going to go about anything, uh, you can eventually learn it. But with, uh, with the real estate side of it, he, he's really good about the, the teaching part. I would say that's definitely the biggest challenge, just kind of learning, especially when there's some law involved in it. And we're not necessarily, necessarily lawyers by any, by any means, but just knowing with him being in the business for so long, he, he knows quite a bit of the, bit of the law on both the title insurance side and the real estate side and all of that. So that, that would, that's what I would say would be the biggest challenge is just kind of gathering the, the knowledge that he has. So, so much of that comes over time, it does, yeah. but, but you've been doing this for what almost you said you started in, in 2014. So you've been yep. doing this for a minute. So you're, you're getting, you're getting there. Yep. And I can't imagine Benny's going to let go anytime soon. So no. you've got some I, time to, 
Yeah. And hopefully I'm, I'm in hopes that he, or I think he's in hopes that he can kind of maybe slow it down this summer. He turns 81 in a week. So he's he, pretty, uh, pretty spry for an 80 year old. Yeah. <laughs> he, he is. And he's pretty sharp for an 80 year old too. So that's, that's another thing I like is, I mean, just with his, the age and him being so on top of things, I think that's, what's really kept him young is him still working, him still pretty much exercising his brain with, uh, still working every day and so i'm really fortunate to be working for him is is that your blueprint then too is is just stay busy until you're 80 and and i think i'm gonna go uh 65 i, I hope that's uh that's <laughs> i got a long ways to go so so i wanted to talk a little bit about rural real estate because uh, you know i actually did real estate for a while when i lived in houston which is okay. a little bit bigger than than our area um, and then when I bought my house here, I was all, oh, I don't need a real estate agent. I know what I'm doing. And uh, it was a little bit of a, I don't want to say a nightmare. It, it was an, it was an okay experience. And, and I had a, a lawyer and, and Benny kind of guiding me through, but hindsight, I wish I would have had somebody else to wrangle all the cats. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so what are some of the, the unique things about a rural real estate market versus maybe what happens in a, in a bigger city from my understanding on, on like bigger cities usually whatever they list the house at it sells for x amount over it and there's such a demand and all that that can really drive the the prices up and usually those those houses I, they're on the market for like a few hours or something like that and when you're getting to a smaller town it can be a little a little different just uh, by the fact that some houses, they might sit on the market for three, four months, not necessarily them being overpriced. It's just that maybe no, somebody's not necessarily in moving to town or at that very moment, or it kind of, really kind of depends on the, the time of year too. Uh, winter tends to be slower. Uh, <laughs> spring and summer tend to kind of pick up. So in that, in that way, it's, it's definitely different. And then just in the fact that you're you're dealing with people that you've probably known your entire life for most of the part. Some of them you don't. People that are moving to town, they're different, maybe, but the sellers you probably have known for quite a while, or at least your family does, or something like that. So it can be a little bit challenging, and you want to just make sure you're you're really on top of things and you communicate well. I think that's the the biggest thing. And just for if you're in real estate in any places, big on communication and keeping your buyers and your sellers informed. Another thing that's different, I would say, is in rural communities, typically when you list a property, you probably sell it to the buyer directly too. Where in like a, a bigger community, you're probably working with a buyer's agent. If you're a buyer, probably not approaching the listing agent directly. It all, but it all kind of depends on where you're at. And with there being in Neely, basically there's two real estate companies. So most of the time, if you're, if you list it, you sell it, but not, that's not necessarily always the case. That's, I can imagine both a really good thing, especially when it comes to the end, but I, I could definitely see some challenges there and, and uh, trying to make sure I protected my seller. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. You mentioned that a house sometimes can sit for a while here, depending on the, the time of year and, and other things because you know i certainly wouldn't want to go out in a nebraska winter to look at houses unless I yeah had, unless i had to so what is what how long does an average house sit on the market around here 
it really, it really, really depends. Like I said, with the, the time of year definitely makes a, a difference. I would say just probably off the top of my head until there's an offer on it, it could probably be some of them that we sold, we had them on the market for two, three days. And then to close, it took your 60 days or whatever. Other times they sit, I've had one that sat for about a year, but it brought basically what they're asking. So it, it really, really depends. Does the age of the house have, so a lot of our houses here are older houses. The house that I bought was built in 1918, right? Does the age of the house have a lot to do with it? Or is it kind of the condition inside? Or what, what kind of makes the difference between the one that will sell within a few days and the one that sits for a year? I would say the ones that sell the quickest, um, even if they are an older house, are the ones that have the kind of the bones have been updated. And it kind of gives the buyer some peace of mind. So when you go to make an offer, they're they're not thinking, well, what if this fails? What if that fails? Stuff like that. You know, people update plumbing and electrical, you know, kind of the, the big ticket items that kind of, they give you safety. And so it really gives the, these buyers some, it puts them at ease um, basically when they're going to make an offer. I know we, we've sold in Neely, especially there's, qu- there's quite a few of those houses that were built between like 1900 and 1920, kind of one of the big, I think, I believe one of the big booming times in Neely when a lot of houses were going up. So there are a lot of cool old houses here in town that have been updated. Also, I would say a lot of these houses are built in the 60s and 70s as well. They they can be good candidates too. They're probably more than likely ranches or the split foyers. Uh, That was kind of popular back in the 70s was the split foyers, even up to the 80s. But I mean, it really kind of depends what your buyer's looking for and what's available at the time, especially in a rural town. I mean, at one at one time, there might be 10 houses for sale and there might be four, three, four houses for sale. So, it, I mean, it, it really is kind of dependent on what your selection is. Um, not to say that something that you're really looking for won't pop up, but uh, it's probably more limited in a town of like 1600, like Neely is, how many houses are going to pop up for sale in one year and if you're in the market to buy. If I was coming in from out of town, and I'm getting moved here, we'll say for work or, or by what for choice or whatever, you know, and I'm on a time constraint. Do I just have to settle for the house that's available or? Not necessarily, but sometimes that does happen. I would say if you're really looking for something specific or, or um, just anything different in general than what's for sale, there are kind of quite a few rentals that are available, maybe even for short, short term until something comes up that you're looking for. So that could definitely be an option, but sometimes that does happen. I mean, it's just kind of the way it goes, but. Um, as, I, as I can imagine happens anywhere. So, you know, sometimes you just have to settle, you know? So, so when we bought our house, like I said, we didn't use a real estate agent. We, we mm-hmm. heard my sister heard from a friend who heard from a friend who heard from a friend that, that the guy was looking to sell. And mm-hmm. so it never hit the, hit the, the quote unquote real estate market. Right. Yeah. Do do we see a lot of of properties go that way, or 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 with you guys also being a closing agent, I I, mm-hmm. I would guess that you see both sides of it, right? So, do you think you see more that that go off the market, or that are listed through an agent? I would say in, in Neely, it's probably fifty fifty between agent listing and private sale. 
there might be a few, it, it probably depends on the year, but I would say that's probably a good rough estimate. It's about 15, 50, 50, maybe more so with some being listed than private, but it really kind of depends. And it's funny how word gets around small towns that <laughs> somebody even makes a, a notion that they're, they're moving. And all of a sudden they got somebody knocking on the door that wants to make an offer on their house before they even see it. But that, that's pretty much what happened in our case. <laughs> yeah. And I've heard plenty of them where they just said, oh, we're, we're thinking about leaving town. And two hours later, they had an offer in their house. And then uh, so it's it, it's funny how it works like that. But that's but also, like you mentioned, we also do like the escrow closings. And uh, for that, we just will uh, work up your purchase agreement and we'll do the escrow closing for you if. If you guys do, if somebody does want to do a private deal and it's kind of a good, uh, it's also a good way to, I, I don't know, establish uh, relationships with these guys and also add another service to the community as well. You know, um, Benny added title insurance back in it's probably the 70s or something. Like <laughs> that. And with that, he, I mean, he was the abstracting was not, that's kind of old news now, but back in the day, that's kind of what title insurance was in a sort of way was they would take all the, the whole chain of title back from the very patent when it was settled or whatever, or platted. And uh, they would have every index or any uh, instrument of record. If it was a deed or a, any liens or anything like that. And they went on and kind of simplified it because he had to have like an attorney who'd give you a, a title opinion or whatever. And now these title agents are able to, to write title insurance and it really simplifies it. And so that's also another service that we add between that and the escrow closings and the real estate and appraisal side of it. So it's kind of a, your one-stop deal, you know, for, for real estate stuff. And it's, it's just kind of another service you can add in a small town. So, so you were talking, you know, you, you guys do a, a bunch of different things. Um, and you said that, that probably the, the abstract piece was, was one of your favorites. The appraisal. The appraisal, the appraisal. Yeah. So what makes, what makes that piece of it more fun than the rest of it? I like it because the way it kind of diversifies your day, you're not stuck in an office all day, you know, writing appraisal reports or whatever. You actually get to go out on the farm. You go look at all like their pivots or grain bins, anything like that. Any farm improvements. I, I specialize kind of in the farm appraisal. And that Sandy Kester, who's in our office as well, she she specializes in residential appraisals. So I really like the, the getting out and especially days like the last few days where it's been so nice getting out there and, and kind of getting out of the office and just going and doing these appraisal inspections. And then you get to uh, sit down and kind of compare it to other farms or other real estate that's sold within, you know, the past year or so. And it kind of comes in a variety of, of ways between people refinancing or buying or even like estates. And it, it can even get more diversified than that. It keeps you pretty busy in that respect. But I, I really enjoy the, it's not just sitting at a desk all day. You can go out and outside and kind of do several different things. You've probably seen a bunch of different properties. What has been, without getting too specific, because, you know, we, everybody knows everybody, right? What has been the best property that you've seen? Ooh, it really... It really depends. There's um, there's not very many appraisers in the state. I mean, from Neely on west, I think the nearest appraiser is in Valentine. 
Holy cow. For, uh, for certified general. So there's multiple different classes. So in order to appraise farms, you have to have a certified general's license, which another appraiser in town here also has. And then there's also one in Elgin that has a certified appraisal license. But from here west, that's the nearest one. I mean, so we'll cover all the way out. We've done appraisals out in Rock County, out that way. That's some good job as, security. It is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we've gone as far as like, Greeley, Valley County, um, up to Knox County. We've done some in Wayne. So it's, it, you got a big market area, but the, this one guy, uh, there's a few of them. They're, they're very particular about how they take care of their, um, their pivots and everything. And Benny always makes note. There's this one guy that he, uh, he had a mower on the back of his pickup and a 50 gallon barrel for used oil and a barrel for new oil and he would drive his pick around all these pivot points and he'd make sure he'd mow around the pivot point get down, knock down any weeds anything like that he'd have filters for the and uh, he'd drain out the old oil put new oil in he said he was just he's one of the best operators he's ever seen and he was very very successful and then some of these houses though i mean they can get pretty pretty big and pretty spectacular. I would say, I know Benny has done a few up in that Knox County area that are maybe on the Lewis and Clark that are, they're, that are pretty cool. They're overlooking the the lake. And, oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're almost a mini mansion. So um, some of those were, are pretty cool, but it's, it's so diversified in what you can do as far as an appraiser between commercial uh, ag and um, residential that you can see, you can see a lot of stuff, and it kind of is a, one of those jobs that you have a lot of job security in because it's kind of a it's, it has a lot of barriers to entry, I would say. So, what's the what's the absolute craziest thing that you've ever seen? Like, I, I remember once I walked into my upstairs bedroom and they walled off half of it and like made a little entertainment center for the kid. Like, it was it was weird, and I found a dark room once in an attic. But so what's the, what's the crazy, the craziest thing you've seen in one of these, probably one of the old houses. Oh, I'm trying to think if there's anything crazy. I can't really think of anything off the top of my head. Probably the craziest thing I've done or anything that's been included in with a house though, is um, I once had a cat included in a purchase agreement. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. That was about the only wild thing I, that's ever happened. Uh, as far as selling a house, though, is a cat going along with it. But uh, nice, nice. Yeah, other than that, it's uh, it's been pretty. I would say normal. <laughs> but I, I probably just jinxed you. <laughs> yeah, you probably did. Watch now, something's gonna happen. But so prices around our area in a rural area tend to be a little bit less. So I know that because you're you're paying for for thing when when you're in an urban area, you're paying for. Um, your proximity to grocery stores and schools and, and things like that, right? Out here, probably paying for the community you live in and, and mm. different things like that. So what would you say if you had to put a number on it? And, and I won't hold you to this. What would you say about the average price of a, of a good livable house? That, you know, Not something you have to go in and completely remodel to live in, but just a good livable house for somebody who's, who's looking. Okay, I, took, I actually took, um, and I made a spreadsheet of basically every house that sold uh, last year that was an arm's length transaction that I knew of. And the average came out to be about 110. 
Now, uh, there were last year, there was actually some really, really good sales as far as um, higher dollar amount sales that maybe were possible outliers, but 110,000 is about right at the, the average. Now with that, I would say to get a, a good house, so you really don't have to do anything with, you could, you could go probably anywhere between 80 up to, I mean, the sky is the limit really, but right. I would say 80 is probably about your, your point where you're going to, you can get a good livable house, basically moving ready not really have a whole lot that you would want to do to it. That's probably about your starting point. And with the interest rates being as low as they are, it makes it really affordable and makes those kind of really good starter homes, especially for people that are looking to move back. And we've had, we've had quite a few of them that were kind of started out in that 80 ballpark all the way up to, you know, that 140 or so, uh, 150 range that were really good and that you didn't, you just didn't really have to do a whole lot to. So, yeah. I would imagine the amount of land that comes with it has a big effect on that price too. It does. And, you know, they always say location is probably one of the biggest factors. And that really depends on, and Neely, you're, I don't know if necessarily you're gaining advantage on being like per se on one side of the highway versus the other, you know, the east or west side or any other small town. Um, if you have maybe more of a, a view or a large, large backyard or whatever, it might have a little bit of a, a positive influence on property value, but not to say that it's going to drive it, I mean, all the way up just because your uh, demand, it kind of really just depends on who's the mar- in the market. And uh, I don't know. It's one of those things where it really just depends. So much of real estate is luck of the draw. It um, is. We we listed our house in Houston and it sold the the morning that it listed, and the house down the street had been sitting for with, with the same floor plan and same everything had been sitting for for months. So yeah, you just never know. <laughs> so much of it's uh, luck of the draw. So what other than real estate and and what you guys do in your office? Um, what other things in the community are you involved in? So I am involved in. Um called the Neely Area Community Foundation. I don't know if that was around when you were working at the chamber. It was. It was just starting, just starting. Just starting. Okay. I probably joined it about a year ago. So I'm still pretty, still pretty fresh with it. I'm involved in that. And then I just kind of do some extracurriculars around, around town, but. Um, what does the, the, commu- the community foundation is a, a pretty neat organization. What, what types of things are, are they kind of the, the 30,000 foot of, of what they're, what it's about. Basically it's a, a foundation created to help improve your community and to explain it in very briefly, it's a, it's a foundation basically where, where people give money to, and it generates interest off the principal amount where foundation is able to give out every year by the interest they generate in order to, to better the community through, um, various projects so kind of the the high level of it is that people can donate money to the foundation and and i know that it's part of the nebraska community foundation and a lot of estates will give a lot of people will will bequeath when they die money to their community and and not that that's the only way it happens but and then that goes back into community projects like parks and um things of historical reference and then you said that you know some some of the businesses in the area any anything that contributes to a better community environment 
Yep. It's uh, it's something that has to be for community betterment or whatever, but available to something that would be available to everybody, I would say, but it's, that's what it's so, so it's on. not just the community um, that you own, that you and your wife live in. Uh, it has to yeah. be the whole town. <laughs> yeah. It's the whole town. Yes, exactly. Um, um, but I think it's definitely a, an organization that is, um, once we start getting our funds higher, we're able to get out, obviously give out more and more every year. So that's, it's kind of exciting to be in the kind of from, I wouldn't say I was in it from the start, but kind of towards the beginning of it and seeing how we're kind of progressing and things are, are moving along. And I think I joined it when I was a year out of college. So it's, it's kind of, we have a, I feel like we have a really good group of people that kind of have diverse backgrounds that are kind of community minded. So I think it'll be, it's one of those deals that once we get the ball rolling, it'll be a really good thing for uh, kind of the future of the community. So, yeah, I think so much of, of what we're doing and, and what, like, what, what, like my age group and younger, which is where you fall, the younger part. I think what we, what we need to do is focus on those long-term things and, and the, how do we sustain our community? Our parents and our grandparents did that to make sure that it was there for us. And now we have to turn around and return that same favor. Yep. So, so I, I certainly appreciate your time. I, I have one more question that I try to ask everybody and, and kind of spin it into to their realm. So, so as a young person who moved back into their community, what piece of advice would you give to somebody who's returning to their hometown or to a small, even if it's not their hometown, to a small town? I would say try to get involved in some, some sort of way just to, to get yourself out in the community and kind of meet new people. It's kind of funny. I mean, growing up here, this isn't from when I was, you know, a kid till I was 18 and I left and coming back. It's kind of funny how as you mature as an adult or you kind of grow up or whatever and come back, once you kind of get involved in everything, you start establishing relationships with, uh, people that you probably wouldn't have when you were younger, you know, but you kind of, you know, you, it's kind of one of those things when you're, you, you reach adulthood, you kind of, you talk to everybody now, especially when you, when you're younger, it might ne- necessarily be that way. You're just, you kind of talk amongst your peers or whatever, but as you grow up as an adult and even as someone in the community or you're a business owner or whatever, you, you want to be involved. And then you also want to kind of establish relationships with people um, you might not have necessarily done when you were younger. I would say that's kind of the, that was kind of the biggest, I would say culture shock for me or whatever was when I came back from Lincoln. I mean, I was exposed to all these kids that are my age or thousands of them, whatever. And then you come back and your demographic is now older than you. <laughs> yeah. And so it's a little different, but just learning how to kind of adapt, I would say, and uh, kind of just establishing relationships with people that are probably older than you, but still have maybe same interests as you. Um, I think it's a, it's a really good way to, to get back here, I think. And um, I think we adapted pretty well when we, me and my wife moved back here. So. Well, excellent. Um, that, that is a very, that's get involved in, and uh, uh, look outside your, your, what you would think was your sphere. I think that's really good yeah. advice. Um, yeah. So I, I appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your morning here and chat with us about the, the real estate industry in a small town and, and what it's like to grow up and then come back. Uh-huh. Well, thanks. And congratulations on uh, your award that you uh, got uh, this week. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
in a thank you card that they wrote, the guy actually mentioned the podcast. So I was like, huh, oh, cool. <laughs> it, it must have, I, I must have showed up on a social media or something. Cause right now we have tens of listeners. So um, <laughs> we'll get that. yeah, right. Right. Yeah, I do. I certainly do appreciate your time. We will see you around. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Whirl is Cool. There are many more great conversations to come. Hitting the subscribe or follow button will help make sure you don't miss any. If there's someone you think I should talk to, send me an email at whirliscoolpod at gmail.com. I truly enjoy meeting rural people and helping tell their stories. This episode was produced by Brian Ferris. The artwork is by Casey Schott. Do me a favor and be sure to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This helps more people like you find us. Until next time, remember, rural is cool.